Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you this evening? I'm doing very well. Very well. Coming off of a fun weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you had a pretty epic excursion. I did. What are you drinking tonight, though, before we get to that? Tonight, I am drinking a uh, cocktail called a Junior. Mm -hmm. It is something out of the PDT book. Um, I'm running out of uh, cocktails that I have not tried that I have the ability to make without having to procure anything else um, and that I haven't already made. Um, yes. Now that we have the spreadsheet out, it's it's kind of shaming me into not doing dupes. Uh, so anyways, this one's uh, rye, benedictine, uh, lime juice, and uh, angostura. So pretty mm. pretty simple. Um, my lime was a little sour, but beyond that, uh, pretty good. How about you? What are you drinking? I am drinking a beverage I acquired this weekend. So it is a 2009 Priest Ranch Port. So it's a dessert wine. Oh, fancy. It's quite, quite nice. I feel like Fraser, even though they like to drink sherry. But yeah, you're wrong, wrong dessert wine, man. I know, but I, <laughs> I still feel like it. But this is definitely a lot different color, but very tasty and uh, very walnuty, which I guess is the, the thing with ports. So. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So speaking of this excursion. Yes. So, uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. And uh, uh, my experience, at least inside of Tesla's, has been quite limited. Uh, you know, my interest in the company is uh, very often about the strategy of the company and the tech behind it and sort of the what they're doing. Uh, and I haven't had I don't own a Tesla and you don't own a Tesla. So it's a little funny that uh, we haven't really driven them a ton, even though we comment on them a lot. <laughs> I've been a passenger in, in Teslas far more often than I've driven them, uh, right. which actually, I mean, for my use case is my ideal situation anyways, because <laughs> you know, by the time I get a Tesla, I want it to just drive me around. So I have, I have no interest in actually uh, piloting the vehicle. So uh, being able to just sit in the passenger seat and fiddle with things is, is kind of a best case scenario anyways. So I'm happy. Yeah, well, I, I am excited to drive it as well, uh, and be the pilot. So this weekend, uh, I was very fortunate to um, have some time to rent a Tesla. So we used uh, Turo. Um, so we didn't get it for free. Uh, we paid for it. So this is, you know, our, our money was spent uh, on it. Full disclosure. Uh, yeah. So paid for this rental. Um, so rented a uh, 2016 60D. Um, which had about, uh, you know, when it's totally new, 218 miles of full range. Uh, it had the regular suspension, uh, so not the air suspension. It did have the panoramic sunroof. Uh, it was red, so it was a multi-coat red. Um, it had the multi-pattern seats, so not the leather, sort of the combination of the textile and this the synthetic leather, but it was the new design of the seats, so they're pretty, mm -hmm. pretty well bolstered. It had the black wood interior, and it was Autopilot 1. Um, and oh, so is, it had that autopilot. Like the, is that the last model that had Autopilot 1? Yeah, it, so Autopilot sort of switched over in October. So this was, uh, yeah, it was sort of, uh, I guess, whatever, 10 months in. So uh, one of they the had last 10 ones months. to have the mobile eye hardware. Yeah, one of the last ones of the 2016 sort of year. Um, All right. Yeah, so that was the vehicle. Um, so overall, so we got to have it for 36 hours. Um, so we have, have you noticed that it's a really large vehicle? Oh my goodness. It's uh, huge. Jumping around a bit, but yes. The, oh, sorry. All some right, of, go ahead. Some of my overall impressions for folks who are, who may not listen to the whole thing if you already have one, but uh, I'm going to go sort of deep into impressions and sort of our, our, my take on it, I guess, and the experience with, you know, a day and a half with it. So um I would say overall, it was both one of the most exciting cars I've driven um, over a period of time and also the most relaxing. And I think that dichotomy or juxtaposition of those two ideas in the same vehicle is what makes it special to people. And you really do get that sense after having it for a while, because on the test drive, you've got 15 or 20 minutes and you get to do a couple performance runs and you might get to play with autopilot, but you're not really doing anything in it you're not trying to accomplish any particular task and so it's quite difficult to really feel what it'd be like to have it as a, a car trying to do something like a road trip <laughs> and so, you have a stranger sitting next to you yeah you have a stranger next to you and it's tense and you're trying to ask questions and all this stuff so uh overall i would say i really enjoyed it as a tesla uh but i do not want a model s i am more excited for the model three um and I 
do I, I really driving back in our regular Mercedes, I was just hoping I just wanted to hit autopilot multiple times <laughs> on the drive back. So uh, autopilot is, is continues to be my number one feature for sure. And I am uh, really, really excited about that. And uh, but there was just so much to the car overall that we'll, we'll dig into. But overall, it was excellent, um, but it's too big of a vehicle for what I what I like. <laughs> All right. So to calibrate people's understanding of, of where you're coming from, uh, maybe you can let people know like what previous vehicles you've you've driven on on a regular basis. Yeah. So, uh, so my vehicle experience is, uh, I've owned a 92 Saab 9,000 turbo, which was a manual. Uh, I've, uh, we should also specify in new England, that's not an unusual car, but in, right. in the rest of in the rest of the country, that's probably what the hell is that? Yes. It was a uh, silver and yeah, it was a, it was a funny car, but it was very, very peppy for, uh, for a 17 year old. Um, and, uh, then I, uh, went a while without, I've driven a Dodge Caravan quite a, a lot, uh, <laughs> a 98, uh, red Dodge Caravan minivan, uh, and then had a, uh, 2006 BMW 330i, uh, that was automatic, uh, for a few years, which was fun. And then, um, most recently been driving a 2010, uh, Mercedes E-Class, um, so that's sort of the vehicle roster and then rented obviously like Camrys and Buick Regals and Yaris's and a bunch of different <laughs> Chevy Sonics, Sonics and Ford Explorers. And so uh, rented a fair number of vehicles on trips back to the East coast. Um, so this is probably, oh, and then also driven, uh, Porsche 911s, um, a couple of those. So that, that's been fun. Um, so that would sort of, the, I would, I would put the Porsche 911 as the most fun to drive. Uh, and that's what I learned a manual transmission on. So that was sort of wild and crazy. I'm, I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. You learned how to drive a manual transmission on a 911? Yes, I did. That's a, that's a little bit crazy. An 87 911. So wow. sort of an older one. Um, so that, uh, so that was, that's definitely like the sort of pinnacle of like fun driving for me would, would be that one, but, uh, definitely a different character <laughs> than, than the Tesla, but <laughs> Tesla would be number two for, uh, driving sort of, uh, fun, um, ahead of the caravan. Yes. Ahead oh. of the caravan, uh, ahead of the BMW three series for sure. Um, and definitely ahead of the, the Saab 9,000. Um, <laughs> so the, we went on a little road trip because we were renting this car and we didn't want to just sort of tool around Palo Alto at our sleepy 25 miles an hour. Uh, and you know, we don't really do, you know, there isn't just a, a ton of driving to do around Palo Alto. So we decided to go up to the wine country. Um, so we went from San Jose where we picked up the car, which is sort of one of the southernmost parts of the Bay area. And we drove north um, to a little town called Yauntville, which has a lot of restaurants and is past Napa. So that was about 90 miles. <laughs> Yauntville has some restaurants. <laughs> that's, it does. That's quite an understatement. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Go ahead. You, maybe you could explain that. I don't know. It's like, it, there's, a, there's a bunch of Michelin stars uh, concentrated in the Yauntville area. So if, you, if you're a foodie, uh, there chances are you're making destination trips to go eat at some of these places. Yes. Yeah, so it was mainly about eating, not even the wine. Uh, it was mostly for, for food. Um, and they're all on this one street, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we picked up, I picked up the car, uh, went up to Yonville. So that's about 90 miles. Then we probably did about 20 miles in town, driving around, did some back road stuff. So we'll talk about that. And then about a hundred miles back, it was a little longer because we went through San Francisco. So we went over the Golden Gate Bridge, Ugh. did some, did some stuff in San Francisco and then came back on the 280, which is a very scenic highway, uh, and back down the bay. And then we exited at the Tesla Motors, uh, headquarters exit and then uh came home so did you see a model three while you were there we did not we ah. drove past and we were not in the mode of uh you know really spying or anything we were just sort of driving by uh because that address was already in the uh in, in the nav and since we rented it we didn't want to put our personal address into the nav um since we couldn't figure out how to clear it uh the history <laughs> since we didn't want other people who were renting this car to, to know where we lived um that's some pretty good thinking Thank you. Um, it had the latest version of the software, uh, auto, uh, you know, general um, firmware. So pretty, pretty good um, level of uh, updates. So it's not as if it was like not updated or anything. So driving dynamics, I would say, so the zero to 60 on this model, it was because it was a D is 5.2 seconds zero to 60, uh, which compares to what we currently know about the Model 3 being 5.6 on the base model. 
so uh, 0.4 seconds quicker. I would say that uh, driving that, we probably did uh, probably 20 or 25, 0 to 45, 0 to 50 stops uh, along the trip. So there was a lot of opportunities to do um, quick acceleration runs. And every single time, it was very fun and exciting to do those. It didn't get old, <laughs> but it didn't hit me in the gut or make me chuckle the way the Model X Ludacris did. Mm -hmm. So it certainly, it, it didn't give me the butterflies or the real sort of throwing you back into the seat. Um, there were a few times when I did it and uh, my girlfriend was uh, caught off guard, but it wasn't, uh, she wasn't frustrated <laughs> with me in the same way that I think she would have in the, in the ludicrous and we caught off guard. So it was certainly more than adequate and more acceleration, I believe, than any other car I've ever driven. Um, even the Porsche, but, uh, because I had driven the ludicrous P100, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's different, but clearly an immense amount of acceleration and still super, super fun to do. And I think the zero to 30 is probably pretty similar. It's just, once you start getting above that, it, it sort of fades. So that little initial burst is still really, really fun. Uh, so didn't get well, the, the zero to 30 is probably a lot more common too. You probably do that yeah. a lot more than you did the, the zero to 60. We did so many like lights where it was red light and, you know, it was very obvious there was no one else coming. It was a very clear, easy intersection, not like a blind intersection or anything. So it wasn't being stupid, but did some quick acceleration off the line and just like, yeah, you're just gone instantly. And uh, it's just sort of fun. And it just tracks so solidly. Um, a lot of times, I think when you accelerate quickly, there's a fear that, you know, the wheel's going to squirrel out or the tire's going to lose traction. <laughs> this was a D. And I, I couldn't get the wheels to screech at all. Like there was nothing I could do to get the wheels to give out or have the back tires spin or anything. It was just super planted and super solid, um, which is yeah, very I feel it, good. it seems like the, the acceleration's almost uh, minimized a bit because it's, it's, it's almost like watching a movie with the sound off where you're seeing the explosions, but you're not actually like getting the concussive effect of the subwoofer in that the car is moving really fast, but you're not hearing the normally we have associated with it like this engine whine and this like climbing through the gears and there's this all this like noise that is associated with speed and one of the weird things about being in the tesla is that it's just silent you might hear a little bit of a whine of the electric motors going but it's pretty quiet yeah i would yeah for sure and i think also not feeling that uh, jerk of the transmission or the you know changing gears yeah, makes another big visceral thing where you're just you expect to feel two or three of those before you get to 60 miles an hour in most <laughs> cars. And so you don't. And uh, that's odd. And then, yeah, the uh, wine and general low noise below 30 miles an hour is quite uh, strange. And then also even at, from like 50 to 70, you're just instantly able to take over anyone on the highway and just sort of entering the highway was a total, a totally different sort of feeling. Cause a lot of times I'm kind of, I, I would just say very particular about how I merge in. Cause I don't want anyone to have to slow <laughs> down. And I just presume no one's going to help, uh, help you merge. Right. So I think that's sort Especially of a safe, a safe defensive, yeah. right. So I need to be in the right spot with the flow of traffic. And so in an, in a, ice car and an internal combustion car it's just a little bit more can be a little bit more nerve-wracking because you have to maybe accelerate a little harder than you normally would so you hear all this noise and you're kind of trying to look over your shoulder and you're accelerating and it feels a little a little bit on edge i always just get a little you know you can get a little nervous trying to get up to speed that quickly on some of these turning uh clover on ramps but in the tesla you're like i'm gonna be exactly in that spot and i know i can get there and you just pump push down on the accelerator and you're just instantly exactly where you want to be. Uh, so merging onto the highway, even though the car was really big, was no problem. So that was sort of very confidence inspiring and quite a uh, nice change of pace uh, for sure. <laughs> Did you find that as you, as you were going on your trip that, uh, d did you get any uh, enhanced range anxiety from the constant, like, flooring of the of the vehicle because there's obviously the trade-off of you know you're the, when you're doing these fast accelerations you're burning down your battery faster and like you know having a more controlled like reasonable acceleration is probably going to extend your range more so did you find that I, I and this is would be the same with the gasoline vehicle too but did you find that you were getting uh, a little conscious of the amount of uh of energy you were burning 
Yeah, so we had the I had the watt uh, watt meter and energy meter up uh, on on the binnacle for most of the trip, and you certainly see it spike when you do these little acceleration runs. But in the grand scheme of the trip, uh, our, our average was lower than the car's overall average. And for anyone who's a Tesla owner, it was under three hundred watt hours uh, per mile. Uh, or 300 watts per mile, I guess. So we did better than a lot of people do on average, just when they're not doing anything crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not as if we were sort of uh, 20, 30, 40% less efficient than the car's 20, I think it had 25,000 miles on it. So we were below the car's average. Mm-hmm. Um, so Probably I helps don't that think- it's, a, it's a almost completely flat trip too. You're not, you're not doing yeah. really any elevation climbing. And also in tying in with autopilot, we were not speeding. Like we were going five miles over the speed limit on the highway. We were just sort of cruising comfortably. So 65, 70, maybe, yeah, mostly not even above 75. And then there were lots of areas where in Napa, you're going like 45 or 50, maybe 55. (laughs) Um, So that really, I think, helped the average. And because the majority of the miles were you know, below 80 miles an hour, I think that really made a big difference. Um, If we were cruising at 80 or something in LA, I think we definitely would have had more uh, a lot, a lot more range anxiety, but, um, (laughs) it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, a few other parts of the driving that really caught my attention. Um, the, uh, they have a mode for sport versus comfort and a lot of cars sort of have a sport button and you push it and you're like, uh, I don't think it does anything. Um, (laughs) the Mercedes has it and I've never, I can never tell it doing anything different. I can't feel it anything different. I don't, I can't tell the acceleration happening any differently. It's like the turbo button on the old IBM PCs. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of a, a placebo fake elevator button thing. Um, <laughs> the uh, the sport versus comfort on the steering was very noticeable. Uh, we were in some back roads uh, in Napa and driving in sport most of the most of the time, and then switched over to comfort, and it definitely got much lighter. So the actual amount of torque you'd need to turn the wheel with your hands was less. So you could turn a certain number of degrees with less human force. And then also the amount of sort of play in the wheel before you could, you could sort of jiggle the wheel and it wouldn't actually adjust the actual tracking of the steering was increased. And so those two things uh, combined to make it feel kind of mushy, which some people prefer, which I think is can be nice on the highway. But for going around sort of tight turns and things like that uh, was not that great. So that was sort of the first time I could really feel what a, so- a really well software controlled steering uh, could be like. And, and that was really um, kind of cool. We also had the regenerative braking on fully. And when we got, I, I noticed it initially because I was doing a terrible job of coming up to stoplights and stop signs because I would start taking my foot off the accelerator and we'd start braking like 20 feet before the stop sign or 20 feet before <laughs> the stoplight. I'm like, oh no, we're, we're going to get going too slow and you have to hit the accelerator again. So a little jerky to begin with, but by the end of the trip, I was really uh, happy with it because some of the some of the unexpected benefits are so sometimes if you're on the highway and you sort of want to scrub a little bit of speed, uh, if you're in control, uh, you just sort of can lift up your foot or you're going down a hill. It's just like uh, switching to the brake on the highway is a really kind of dumb thing to do. And so sometimes you just get going a little too quick or whatever. Just modulating your foot a little bit was just so nice to be able to uh, sort of keep a constant speed. And the other thing that was really great is coming into a corner where you know you should be slowing down or you need to slow down. Instead of having to let up, which you're going to coast and then hit the brake, you just sort of let up on the accelerator (laughs) and you just start like engine braking essentially as if you were in a manual transmission and then you push on it again at the apex and your foot doesn't have to really move so that was really nice coming you know corn exiting exit ramps or going around sort of tighter bends um and so i really really appreciated the regenerative braking so much that when i got back into the mercedes on the way home uh i was expecting it to happen and then i'd let off and we just sort of coast and i was like what is happening this car is out of control it just felt <laughs> so um so sort of like unspun and loose and weird um so i really liked the regenerative braking yeah that that totally makes sense to me i feel like that every time we get a rental car cuz i drive a manual transmission on the on the rare occasions i drive and yeah, getting behind an automatic transmission always freaks me out. Like I'll stop at a light and just take my foot off the pedal and expect the car to stay still. And all of a sudden I'm rolling into the intersection. Oh yeah. Also we had creep off. Uh, so yeah, it didn't do that. So it would instantly go into a hold mode, uh, once you fully come to a stop. And that was really nice. Just being able to take your foot off the pedals completely and not go anywhere, 
which I didn't know how much I would be holding on the brake in a normal car um, since we have an automatic transmission. Um, so that was really great as well uh, to not have creep. A little weird for backing up because there's so much acceleration that feathering the pedal to do a backup <laughs> maneuver can be a little bit... Um, I had a, a few points where it was sort of a little jerky because I'd accelerated a little too quickly in the backup. Um, I'll get used to it, I guess. Um, you think they would actually change the the acceleration range of the pedal for for reverse? Like, why would they have the same as as forward? I don't know. It, it, it could accelerate very quickly in reverse if you wanted it to. So it was a little bit odd. Um, and then also when you push it, you're it, remo- it releases the brake for hold. So you've got that happening as well. So you have to push through that hold release and if you're on a little slant then it'll start rolling so there's a couple things with backing up that i wasn't a huge fan of but also the car was so wide i was really particularly nervous and the parking spots in napa were not particularly wide no um (laughs) did you did you use any of the auto parking stuff yeah so um we did we used the auto park parallel uh, parallel parking um and we used it probably three times and the first time, uh, it, it definitely worked. So, something I was concerned about, though, was because it's such a big car and Napa, the street we were trying to park on, was pretty busy, that it, it backs up very quickly once it initiates the move. So the, the nose of the car is entering, is staying in sort of the traffic lane a lot. Um, and so I was kind of nervous that we might clip, like someone might clip us because we were just backing up so much faster than you normally would, um, that the person going around us might not anticipate the car's nose jutting out to the sort of left so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, it's just unnerving having the car back up so fast and so tightly to the car, uh, in the front, in the front position. So sort of the, uh, right side of the vehicle, we were parking on the right-hand side of the road, the right-hand side almost like brushes the car because it's trying to do a really tight, good job and get you in really close. But obviously there's the sensors there, but it's just really, uh, nerve wracking, not having done it a few times, uh, never using an auto park feature, uh, to have that happen. Uh, the spot was so huge that it pulled up forward past the parking lines because it was like probably a, a double length, uh, parallel park spot. So we had to manually put it into the center of the spot, but, um, you know, it did a good job. It parked as if it was a tight spot, but it was a huge spot. So I think that would kind of threw it off. And then the other time it did a great job too. Um, the, we couldn't get the perpendicular parking to work. So for whatever reason, we drive, drove by a lot of just like, we went searching for parking lots just to try it even, um, <laughs> to sort of, you know, really put it through its paces and we couldn't get that to work. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that was, that was worked well. I, I probably wouldn't, uh, I'm not sure how much I will use that in practice unless Probably parallel, but not like the perpendicular, I don't think. Um, the sensors are enough to really know what you're doing on the pulling in. And it's so nice seeing this sort of, uh, you, you see it on the, on the binnacle in front of you, this sort of uh, half circle that is representing sort of the, the, comp, the zone of safety in front of this sort of pillow in front of the vehicle and behind the vehicle. And as you get closer to objects, they sort of protrude in their actual formation and deform this sort of circular thing. So it's not just like a little ping, like my BMW just sort of pinged when it was close. This has like a 3D mesh essentially, or 2D mesh of what objects are getting close to you and how many inches away they are. So once you get in like within 10 inches of something, it starts to go sort of red. And so it was really confidence inspiring uh, to be able to pull up and in, you know, this Tesla not scrape the front end or the (laughs) rear uh, when we're backing up. But it's so wide that the mirrors might hit something and it wouldn't tell you about that. So that was probably Mm. the biggest. um, I wish the mirrors kind of retracted if it was doing auto park. But anyways, tiny little detail there. Um, So the um, the hardware one, the one that you were using, the Mobileye one doesn't have the cameras all around. Uh, right. So does does it not have the like 360 degree like parking video feed that the I think the new one has? Is that right? Well, it doesn't have a feed of video yet. It still just has the backup camera on the new ones. But I, they could do that sort of stitch thing like the Bolt had. Um, but they don't do that yet. So, oh, but it does have, have the parking sensors for the, sort of the ultrasonics. The the hardware two ones are apparently twice as good at sensing distance. Uh, or sorry, they they can see twice as far. Mm-hmm. but uh this was plenty for parking and super accurate um I, I had no complaints about that and definitely the highest quality system i've ever used um, but i haven't tested a lot of new cars that have really good parking assist so I, you know i can just comment on the tesla um <laughs> a few a few things i think people were curious about when we asked on twitter if anyone had any questions 
Uh, so, so the quietness, and we mentioned this in our test drives, but again, you really notice it's super quiet in stop and go traffic. So that's sort of a nice experience that when you're in stop and go traffic and not hearing the engine, which you would hear quite a lot, uh, was really, really nice. So you could hear just the music and you could have a conversation and talk. So that's a new experience. But once you get above like 15, 25, maybe 25, 30 miles an hour, the, the road noise becomes the predominant sound and the wind noise mm -hmm. that you can't it's just sort of feels like a normal car sound. Um, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that one when I did the X test drive as well. I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah, so I, I was really hoping that it would sound more serene and silent, but it, it really doesn't. Um, and so at that, at that point, um, the quietness of it really only happens when you're accelerating that you notice it's not adding extra engine noise. Um, so that's pleasant, but it's really at the low speeds that it's super disarming. And also like just sort of, you get in the car, you push the brake pedal and it turns on and then putting in reverse or drive. If you're just going forward every time gets me every time I'm just like, this isn't, it's not on. And then you just start moving and it's silent and, uh, it's just really odd. Um, still <laughs> doing that 20 times or whatever, it still catches me as futuristic and, and really cool. Um, the it had because it had the panoramic sunroof a lot of people were curious like is this going to be too hot because uh, the model 3 obviously has a lot of glass and did not notice any heat gain or heat on my head <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend in the passenger seat did not either so it's really tinted uh, if you feel the glass with your finger and actually touch it you can tell it's warm but we didn't feel heat gain. The main heat gain just came just like every other car through the windshield and the side windows. So if your you know, legs get warmed up from the sun, it's usually coming from the windows, not the sunroof in this car. Um, and it was, so, it was pretty warm I mean, it wasn't super hot, but it was probably like eighties, nineties when you were Yeah, it was there, in right? the nineties. Yeah. And it was yeah. fully sunny. So we were, you know, there was full sun in the cabin. We had the, the air conditioning was very cold, um, and plenty of good fan. Uh, capability so we weren't ever uncomfortable at all um but also when you have the fan on the ac another you know source of noise um the, the dash is so long like from from the front of the dashboard all the way to the glass ending and then to the hood it's really long really far away um <laughs> so it just sort of feels like you're in a big car and and the width of it as well so very comfortable um we had the new seats and the textile seats were actually really nice um no complaints about those we were i had no butt pains or back pains and uh there's lots of controls lots of lumbar support was um, there any ventilation in the seats or were they just standard seats they were just standard i think the ventilation would really just be that there's some sort of fabricy type material that has a little bit more natural ventilation since it's fabric than a synthetic um sort of faux leather um but leather yeah pleather i guess um fancy I, yeah, pleather i know they call it vegan leather and i'm it's a sort of a funny uh anachronism <laughs> i guess that's just gourmet pleather right there yeah um uh imitation crab um so <laughs> the the one of the fun sounds is hearing the motors spin up so you can hear the the motor whine a little bit and i kind of liked it I, I like that you can hear this little, and that, that was just sort of fun. And you really only hear it at lower speeds. Do you um, like it as a, as a sound or as like feedback that, that what you're doing, is it more of like a, yeah, like a feedback kind of thing? Yeah. I liked it as a, as a, as a new version of your, you're making this machine move. So instead of hearing exhaust sound, hearing a little motor whine, mm -hmm. uh, in, in sort of spinning up, just sort of feels like a spaceship like sound effect you'd hear in a 60s or 70s like sci-fi thing just like like gotcha. just something warp speed yeah warp speed kind of thing i don't know it, it it wasn't um something that you hear all the time it's not a droning whine i really just heard it as we were sort of in the five to ten mile an hour just sort of going from that to like 30 or 40 you just hear this little and then you don't hear it anymore because the wind <laughs> noise picks up so for for anyone who's sort of a fan of those sort of sci-fi kind of vibe it was it was nice um Let's see. Uh, the interior, a lot of people complain about the interiors of the Tesla uh, not being very luxe. It is not very luxurious. Uh, the model, the Mercedes is definitely more luxurious than it was many more years old. Um, but that's not exactly why you're buying a Tesla. But um, it, w <laughs> it was definitely more plasticky materials, less stitching, less padding, less sort of 
tufts and things. Um, and also because it was a black interior, I think it is a little harder for the black interiors to look as luxe. Um, but lots of lots of different materials and lots of plastic, like um, uh, soft touch type plastics. But it, it it's not it it doesn't feel like a Mercedes, but it's not it wasn't it wasn't imitating it. It just didn't go there. Um, right. So you know. If, if that's what you want, this is really not that thing, but there was no material that made it feel cheap, like the bolt. Um, I didn't get that <laughs> sense of it being cheap. It just wasn't uh, a standout component of it. Um, but it, it didn't, didn't, didn't bother me. And I, it wasn't something I was thinking about because there was something that was way more interesting than the interior. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, it'd probably be problematic if that was your focus. Um, so we had talked in the past about, uh, the model S and, and Tesla not being a big player in the car market and not being able to attract the, the tier one suppliers for the initial like model S and the low mm-hmm. volume that they had. And that how with the model three, they were able to, uh, kind of sit at the big boy table for some of these like tier one suppliers. Um, do you know, is the model S like the 2016 that you drove, is that still true? Um, like, is it that the, I mean, I guess what I'm getting to is like, is the model S still uh, hamstrung by tier two or 1.5 suppliers? Uh, and w- could you end up in a situation where the model three might actually feel a little more luxe um, in that probably because like there might be fewer uh, things inside it and they might be of higher quality. Yeah. I think it's absolutely possible that the model three will have a tighter fit and finish. And also in the comparison set, it will feel more on par or above par. So I think that, yeah, the, the suppliers, we don't know much about whether or not they've switched out major suppliers. Um, but I think what we'll actually see. So, so the interior hasn't really had a major redesign ever. So the car is like eight or nine years old since the original concepts were sort of shown off. Um, so like 2009 ish, um, 2008, 2009 and it shipped in 2012. So it hasn't had major redesigns. It's had some things with the consoles and the seats have gone through two revision or, or so. Um, some of the interior options have changed, but it's fundamental interior and design decisions haven't changed much. So there's certainly expectations that there's going to be a major refresh of the Model S at some point uh, to up the game. And they've hired the guy from Volvo, the head of interior engineering, um, who came on right a few months after the Model 3 program uh, was the Model 3 was unveiled. So I expect that the Model 3 is actually going to be probably some of the suppliers are bringing for Model 3 will probably be also then supplying this smaller, more luxurious, but lower volume car as sort of a, a gimme in the contract. And also that very, it's very possible that the, the buying power of model three may allow them to do things in model S at a better margin than they would have before. So mm-hmm. for instance, I think it's very possible that the new motors uh, are actually going to be shared across the three and the S. Um, we know that the model three motors are going to be used in the semi um, so I think that it's very possible there's going to be a lot of materials and, and things in the Model 3 that they're going to be buying in such high quantity that they'll probably be using them in the Model S as well. Um, so I, I expect that it will improve over time. But again, it wasn't to the point where I would, I would say it was um, below, below average or anything for a, for a nice car. It just wasn't, you know, what you'd expect for a $100,000 kind of car, I would say. <laughs> I got to say, when I first saw the the Tesla, the Model S, uh, when it first came out, and I first saw one like rolling through Palo Alto and took a look inside, I was struck by how, for lack of a better word, Pontiac it looked. Like I always, I always felt like Pontiac was this kind of car company that always just tried to make things look futuristic, and it just usually ended up meaning that they would put a lot of like angles and plastic and and kind of stuff like that and i feel like the the model s interior suffers from that a little bit where it's just kind of a a dated sort of uh intentional futurism i guess there i i think i feel that the most on the door panels there's so many swoops and curvy angles and jutting out things that i just didn't really understand because there isn't even door pockets but there's so much going on on the doors that and there's like aluminum trim meeting plastic meeting uh leather and um it's almost like a hollywood thing where it's like if you want to make something look futuristic we'll just take like a regular thing and then put a lot of extra angles and panels and you know pen 
polygons and whatnot on it. But yeah, it just sort of feels like there's a lot of stuff sort of added on to these panels instead of it being sculpted. And it's very hard to point out the details of why the like the Mercedes feels more luxe, but there's certain ways that the materials are put onto the side, like just, just the overall lines are cleaner and just better overall, I would say. But um, anyways, did it make you long for the simplicity of the Model 3 dashboard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am very excited for that. And there was a lot, even the front vents were kind of unnecessary. There's some buttons that I felt were unnecessary. Um, the big screen in its position, like getting, so the thing that I wanted to spend the most time on that I was most excited about was the UI uh, and autopilot, because those are the things I probably have the most credence to talk about. I'm, you know, I'm not a professional car driver, but I do do software as a, as a day job. So, all right, um, let's dive in. So, I would say I am 100% convinced that a touchscreen is the way to go in a car for sure now. Like combined, combined with controls on a steering wheel. So those two pieces together blew my mind. I was so excited and so it was so useful to have the ability to adjust the fan speed from the steering wheel and not have like 10 buttons on the steering wheel, but just sort of have uh, the, the scroll wheel be able to just scroll up two notches on the right hand one. And that would put the fan speed up. And the left hand one was the audio. So is it, it, it was great. It was just is it so always useful. like that or is it modal depending on what screen you're on? So you can adjust it. So uh, you can either, at least in the Model S, there's sort of two. So you've got that screen in front of you, the binnacle, and mm-hmm. there's the center display, which shows if you have autopilot showing what the car sees and the cars and all that. And then there's two panels, one to the left, one to the right. Each of those, you can choose little widgets that you want to see. So, uh, and the way you adjust it is you push and hold the, uh, the scroll button the scroll wheel underneath your thumb and then it reveals sort of a a carousel a vertical carousel and you can flip through which item you want you tap it again and then it pops that one so um and then you can also uh you can control you can also um push this little button that will pull up a menu that will then do like uh what the rolling the scroll wheel will do so if it will adjust the fan speed or if it'll change the tracks or if it will do x y or z other functions and so is it the kind of thing where you're you're doing those selections when you're like parked and then you're you're keeping it in in a single mode as you're as you're driving or is it the kind of thing that you're adjusting on the fly i was able to adjust it on the fly but i also was doing that when i had autopilot on so that in conjunction with autopilot was just the right amount of distraction to feel still feel safe but um not be uh you know, but still have the ability to make these adjustments and not have to go to the screen. Because in the beginning of the trip, I was asking my girlfriend to adjust the fan or whatever, because I was just nervous. I didn't want to touch the screen and look away. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the screen is huge, 17 inches, but when you're driving, you don't really notice it or see that much of it in your, even in your periphery for some reason. Um, So it wasn't distracting while I was driving, except I didn't want to touch anything. And I didn't want to look away and I didn't really know exactly sort of the muscle memory of where to touch. Is, is there any voice interface to it or is it all just like tactile? So then there is the voice control and we use the oh, voice okay. control primarily to, to do music. Uh, I didn't try it for commands like v- fan speed or anything like that. But one of the nice things is like when you push it, it does mute, it does sort of um, reduce the, the audio volume uh, to be able to hear you better. And uh, it has a really nice animation, sort of like Siri or Google Now, where it shows you if it's listening with some pulsing on the UI. Um, And then it starts typing out the words as you're speaking and not sort of the whole word, not Mm -hmm. like by letter by letter. Um, So you have a pretty good sense of what it actually caught. Um, So I, I think that the... I really don't use many controls on the steering wheel in the Mercedes and there's a lot more buttons and a big part of it is the actual UI to confirm what you're doing is really slow and not uh, super intuitive. So I don't really use those controls. I really just use the audio uh, volume. But in the Tesla, I was able to very quickly start using it for other things and be like, oh, I want to switch to the, see the energy usage or I want to switch to the fan or I want to switch to the music or I want to switch to the map or all these things were very easy to do on the fly, and especially with autopilot running, uh, was was super easy. So that 
was great. I really like I, the steering wheel position for those controls was perfect. Uh, in the Mercedes, it's a little too low for me, and in the BMW, it was a little low. And I never really use them in the BMW either. So, really, one of the first times I actually used those. So, I think just like a really good indication that the software quality just has to it has to reach a certain minimum threshold, and that threshold will be different for different people. But I like using software, and it was usually too <laughs> low for me in most cars, and it passed it in the Tesla for sure. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about the touchscreen too, is that it can evolve too. So, you know, it, it can theoretically improve over time as, as more feedback comes in. Yeah. I mean, one, one really good example of the two screens working together was navigation. Like we were pulling out of the garage of this place where we picked up the car and we instant, like within a few seconds had the new, had our final destination in the, in the, in the nav. And you know, we normally just use our, our smartphone, even though our Mercedes has nav, we just use the smartphone on, on a stand because it's just so much better. Yeah. So we are used to doing that. But having the big uh, keyboard on the screen made it really easy to type it in. The autocomplete was very strong because it used Google Maps as the back 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 end. Um, and it, it routed us and had it told us how much charge we'd have left. And that was totally acceptable. We didn't need to stop for superchargers or anything. And uh, you can see the entire route on the map, which is kind of nice. And then on the left-hand side, you see all the steps with the amount of, you know, sort of the list view you would see in, in Google Maps. But on the phone, you can never really have the list view and the nav view with the, the, the map at the same time. So that was cool. And then in the left-hand side of my binnacle, I always had the next upcoming uh, turn and then it would transition to the lane I needed to be in as I got closer and then would show a visual representation of the exit sign for the exit I was looking for. So nice, really nice combination of the nav. And one of the other nice details was as the nav was trying to communicate to me, the driver, what I needed to do, it would mute, it would mute the left side of speaker so that I would hear her, uh, the, the voice of the navigation system but the rest of the passengers could still hear the music. I'd never heard a, seen a car do that before. And I thought that was a really clever um, way to, you know, not disrupt everyone and still let me get to hear what I needed to do and not just sort of overpower the music with a louder voice on top of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, did you listen to an episode of the Tesla show while you were in there? Uh, we tested it and made sure it worked, but um, uh, <laughs> you didn't listening your and editing, to that. <laughs> yeah, don't need to do that. Uh, so we, but it was really nice having Slacker and I don't really use Slacker in my day job, day life <laughs> as any radio service, but, um, it was quite nice having any music we wanted just at, you know, a tap and really easy to switch. We normally use Pandora, but we use it on the phone and we usually have maps up. So switching the music in Pandora can be problematic because you'd have to switch apps and grab the phone and all the stuff. So it was really nice just having a lot more options to music. And a lot of people have more better music options in their cars than I guess we do. But for whatever reason, that was actually quite nice to have uh, exactly the kind of music we wanted and variety really easy and not have to just listen to the radio. Um, did you use the web browser at all? We did not use the web browser. I will say tapping the screen, it is too slow. It is, it is very unresponsive. Trying to get the top nav thing to pop up and tapping it. Like there were times when I was like tapping it aggressively and angry. So mm -hmm. I really hope the model three has a faster processing, uh, system <laughs> processor. Seems like a weird thing for them to, to skimp on. Like that's, that's so fundamental. I mean, that's kind of what Apple it, is is known for is like the responsiveness of the ui also the first ipad uh that came out in 2010 i believe and um it was definitely quicker than this was so they and i don't think they've upgraded i think it's still the tegra like one chip or something so hopefully they upgrade it and they upgrade it in all the cars and we hear about that on friday but um Anyways, uh, so the main event, the main thing, and we'll talk about charging in a second as we wrap <laughs> up, but the autopilot, I probably used it for like 90% of the miles easily. Really? And all the highway miles, all the highway miles, some of the, like, uh, some of the roads in, in, um, in Napa, like regular uh, roads or like stop and go traffic type situations, both stop and go stuff. And some of the, like, what was it? There's like. 12 and 121 and 37 which are kind of two lane highways but not mm -hmm. like freeways not really high speed freeways and used it on those and sort of testing the boundaries but pretty much every opportunity i could i turned it on 
And you, so you used it on the non-divided roads. Yeah, as I used well? it on non-divided roads also. Right. Um, I feel so, like that's the big test of faith, right there. So here's what here's how I this, this oh so for folks who haven't used it and I, I had only used it in like 15 minute intervals. Um, one, if you are not paying attention, you will get into a bad situation for sure. And even how autopilot so? once, like it will pull like you would just run off the road if you if you were not on like a really clean straight highway mm-hmm. it is possible you will hit something run into a divider run off the road <laughs> so true. there are a lot of like very low quality roads in in a very expensive area up there yeah i mean there were on some of those highways that are not full highways so i don't think they'd be classified as highways or interstates or whatever um there are bends that are sharp enough that you would need to slow down from 60 to 45 and autopilot in its current state would just, you would not make that turn. You, you would go out. And so if you are not paying attention, you will have a problem. If you're paying attention, it's great because there were maybe, I would probably, I didn't write down the exact number, but probably 20 or so disengagements that I would say were if, if I wasn't paying attention, something bad might have happened. So probably 20 over like, just under 200 miles disengagements meaning that you had to disengage or it disengaged itself i i disengaged it it never disengaged on its own uh i was always the one who was yanking the wheel or hitting the brake or something so but i would say those were not emergency events they were not scary to me because i was monitoring it so if you are using the service and using it correctly it was very relaxing like we were in stop and go traffic and i was totally happy and I usually hate <laughs> stop and go traffic. I was like, this is great. This is totally fine. Like, th- this is actually better because now I can take my hand off the wheel, actually. That was the only time I took a hand off the wheel was in the stop and go because I could see we were totally blocked in. We were not going anywhere. And the max speed we were going is like four miles an hour. So there was just nothing it could really do that was going to be crazy. Uh, I mean, it could roll you through an intersection if it's because it's not picking up red lights, right? Right. So when we got close to an intersection, I made sure I definitely had my hands fully on the wheel and was ready to stop. And so a few <laughs> of those disengagements. around with the UI for a bit. Yeah. But, but basically my eyes were almost always fully forward. The only time I looked away was looking out the 280 because there's some nice uh, roads over there and on the bridge, just sort of looking up through the glass to sort of see what that looked like because it was super foggy. Um, but overall, it was incredible because... It, it just basically made me realize how boring and terrible and annoying doing those micro adjustments on the highway are. <laughs> I and know, right? So basically, I was holding my hand on the, on the wheel the whole time, and basically it was just steering underneath my hands because it's also the most comfortable place if you're going to keep your hands on the wheel to keep it in the normal driving position because I felt like if I kept them on the bottom, uh, I just really couldn't even like take control of the wheel because that's sort of just dumb having them that low because you just can't tw- turn the wheel quickly enough. So you're just sort of resting your hands on the wheel. It's moving it underneath. Your foot is either flat or hovering over the brake in case it's going to be a little dicey. And it just sort of does its thing. And you're just supervising and just checking your mirrors a lot more and just sort of looking around. And it was great. It was just like there's a ghost driving and I'm sort of overall taking control. And then basically what would happen is if it was going around a turn, I would take the turn as if I would, you know, and just sort of pretend steering, but actually steering. And it would usually move underneath my hand. So I wasn't actually taking control or adding any torque. But if it wasn't turning enough, I would keep turning and then it would disengage because I was turning it more than auto steer wanted it to. And then it would disengage, but I was still, you know, turning. So it was sort of act- activating behind me. And I, and then I was obviously pushing it. There are some places that probably wouldn't, Tesla wouldn't recommend using it on some of these highway type roads, but that are not full highways. But I was really just trying to see like, what is the state of it? But for undivided highway, I would definitely not recommend someone use it unless they are fully engaged and <laughs> paying attention because I would, I would be actively nervous. And I'm surprised there aren't more accidents actually, because you could easily just like run into a pole or whatever. And it just hap- it would just happen so quickly because you're about to go around a corner and it doesn't slow down at all. And it was like, okay, well, if someone wasn't paying attention, they would just run off the, off the road here in, in Napa. And so, so that was definitely one. It would be very easy to forget to break at a stoplight or a stop sign. Luckily, that didn't happen to us because we were very careful and cautious. Um, 
and you're, but you're oh sorry go ahead no, I was just going to say, but the, the my favorite part was of the 280 on the way back, because clearly Tesla tests on the 280 a ton. <laughs> and so the, the lanes are perfectly wide. There was not many people on the road, maybe one or two cars every 50 or 100 feet, like very open highway on the way home on Sunday night. And it was just the best highway drive ever, because I was just very loosely monitoring it. Um, I didn't have to take control at all. That is the one time it probably could have gone the entire road. 30 miles and I, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to touch. I mean, I didn't have to take control at once in that entire 30 mile strip. So that was the best example. The worst example was the 101 approaching the Golden Gate Bridge because it's very <laughs> windy, there are lots of hills, and the lanes are way too narrow. So you especially feel in a, in a Model S being wide. And then because the car tries to just stay in the center of the lane, when you're going by trucks and stuff, it feels like you're really close because you're more close than you would be as a human. And I think people really forget that they actually automatically kind of move to the other side of the lane, but the Tesla doesn't, it just stays locked in the middle. So if you're passing someone and they're on the right edge or left edge of their lane, respectively, it feels like you're passing them really tight. And, and when you're driving, you kind of slow down next to that person and then you pass them quickly. Uh, to get out of their way, but the Tesla just goes at its normal speed. So some idiot could just be going at their kind of speed and you're just hovering right next to them, which is like the most dangerous thing to just be driving right next to someone in their blind spot. But the Tesla doesn't really know that it's doing that. Hmm. So, so that was weird. And then it was just too tight. So if it would, it, the lane ma- markings were kind of faded on the Golden Gate, like a, approaching the Golden Gate Bridge and they're tight lanes, so it would lose vision of some of the lanes. And when it loses vision, it does an offset from the lane that it has. So it's expecting a normal size width lane. So then it would drift too far over into a lane. So it was like I just couldn't use autopilot approaching. It was just too dangerous. Um, so, and I definitely didn't use it on the bridge because there's like no lane markings. It's, it's just a metal grate. <laughs> That's a little harrowing, yeah, going over that bridge. Um, so... You know, I and, and like when cars are merging in, being in the right lane with autopilot on is a really bad idea because it doesn't help you let people merge in. Mm. And so until that car is fully in front of you, it's not going to notice it. So what would happen is a car would start to edge in. I'm not slowing down at all because the autopilot doesn't even see that car yet. And then it would merge in and it would start to initiate like an emergency brake situation because the car is too close to me and I have a long follow distance set. It didn't ever happen because I took over, but if you're in the right-hand lane with autopilot, you probably shouldn't. You should pro- probably be in the center or left lane just to minimize the amount of cars uh, coming in front of you or to the you know behind you. Um, and also, what would happen is if a car would, if you keep the the speed too high. Uh, in stop and go traffic once or twice we had like 50 miles an hour because that was the speed limit but we were in stop and go which isn't a problem if the car in front of you stays in front of you but if the car in front of you uh moves to a chooses changes lanes and the next car is kind of far ahead then it'll accelerate very quickly (laughs) to start accelerating because it thinks it's free to go and then it will notice the next car and then start braking really aggressively which a human just would never do so hopefully in autopilot 2 as it has deeper vision and can see further uh it would realize that it should do those sorts of acceleration moves so there were definitely things where it is not full self-driving but as a driver aid i would i want it i want it right now i would i'm going to use it a ton and it will get better but even in its current state i would really like it but it was very interesting to see that it is very far from being able to even do like highway fully but it's not promised to but it is it is not even close to like 95 percent like because the what we probably like i said probably 20 times or so i had to take over and all of those would have been big problems uh if if i hadn't so it, it wasn't even like little oh that was like inconvenient <laughs> or like a slight bump or something it was like yeah. you would have hit someone or you would have gone off the road so yeah it'll be i'm really curious to see how i mean and we've talked about this in our autopilot episodes but uh as it gets better seems like right now um your experience with it is that it was kind of bad enough where you were constantly engaged with it and then uh like as we as we've discussed in the past there as it gets better it hits this point where it gets good enough where you're not actually paying attention to it as much because you're trusting it more because it makes less mistakes or it doesn't make really any mistakes and that seems to be the the problem where where you've kind of hit this threshold i guess between the the autonomy levels yeah i i definitely agree i would i 
as I've said on the show, I thought they would probably do stoplights and stop signs sooner or next and on the path to full self-driving. And I think I might actually, they may still do that, but I think that might be wrong because the surface street autopilot's still so bad that encouraging more use of autopilot on surface streets and thinking you can just go through those might be more misleading that actually well, you were on the immobilized stuff though. So yeah, but even the highway stuff I think is so much closer. Um, and having it get you into the correct lane, I think might actually be, I know that's in, intended for enhanced autopilot, but that would have been nice. Um, and being able to actually take the right, you know, put you in the right lane to take the correct exit for the interchanges. I think that would have felt very futuristic because every time we'd have to exit, I would disengage autopilot to get into the correct lane myself take the exit and then re-engage it when we got back onto the main sort of straight straight away of the highway. But again, it the majority of these miles were highway and it was amazing. Uh, we used it on some back roads and it was a total disaster. Like no, <laughs> no chance you should use it there. And it, I can't believe it even let me turn it on there. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say. Like it, it was, I don't know if it's, bad for them to allow that but it you i don't think anyone who's actually driven the car for more than a day would do it because they know it's not going to work and and it it very quickly reveals it's it's like incapabilities um so i think that was yeah but but again i just uh, i want it and i don't i i i don't want this to come across as like it was bad i'm just pointing out that uh it really is not capable of self-driving and i think every owner is probably shaking their heads right now like of course like we know this uh i think it's just people who have not driven it for more than 10 minutes may have the wrong impression of it and that's probably that's that's not helpful uh for for tesla and it's not helpful for autopilot because it, it makes people's expectations too high and if they use it wrong then they'll have a problem but if you use it for 20 minutes you'll know it's not you, you it's really not johnny do need, cab yet you need to pay attention yeah. um so how about the um, charging situation? How did you do on the, on the drive up there for, for charging? So we stopped at a supercharger just for 10 minutes for fun, just to try it. Um, and, <laughs> As one does. Uh, yeah, so we stopped in Dublin. Uh, we were charging. We had about 160 miles of range, so it was pretty full, but not. it was probably like 70% full. We got 70 kilowatts, which would charge 120 miles per hour. So it wasn't super fast, fast charging, uh, supercharging, but... Um, we did have another car in the stall next to us. So we were sort of in the reduced rate. Um, but when I then saw what the charging rates were in other places, it felt really fast because at the hotel, uh, there was a charger, which we didn't know about. So that was pleasant. We were planning to use a supercharger on the way back in Napa. Um, so I wasn't planning the charge when we were there. So we got there and there was a charger. So we got there early parked in the super in the charger at the hotel. It was a, a J1772. Uh, which is just sort of the general level two charger. So the car had that adapter. You uh, snapped it onto the plug uh, from the charger and uh, or the, the the power station, I guess. Uh, we uh, had to open the charge port from the inside because it wasn't a Tesla where it opened up automatically because it doesn't sense itself. Um, I think I could have touched it, but I, I just didn't want to break anything. So we opened it mechanically <laughs> from the inside. Old school. Electronically, and uh, plugged it in, and uh, it was charging at nine miles per hour. <laughs> so Jeez. I was like, holy moly, this is going to take a while. Uh, so we let it charge for like six hours. Um, was that like overnight? No, just during the day. So we got there at like 11 or something, and we hung out and came back, and then we moved it afterwards. So we got a good, good amount there. Um, and then when we came, we left, we uh, came back through Golden Gate, bridge and then went to the golden gate park and the parking garage actually had an ev spot with a charger um and so we use that it was sponsored by nissan of all things which was funny um <laughs> and that got us 18 miles per hour on a 30 amp charger so we got like uh 60 miles uh in like three hours so uh three and a half hours so that was pretty good and were you um, actually getting to the point where you needed these or were you just like doing it we, out of curiosity we were doing it mostly out of curiosity we would have if we hadn't have charged we would have had to stop on the napa supercharger on the way back uh but we probably wouldn't have only needed tw- 20 minutes or so and then we would have probably ended up with like 30 miles of range when we got back um, so when you rent a tesla is it like renting a gas vehicle where you need to bring it back fully loaded like do you have to dep- fill the I tank mean, <laughs> it depends this guy had a charger in his home as well okay. so he didn't care uh but we brought it back with like 130 miles of range on it so 
it range anxiety did not affect us but we also were fortunate to have some chargers to charge stuff with accidentally, I guess. Um, and we didn't really do a ton of exploring because if we had gone farther north, then coming back would have been tough because we were maybe 15 miles from the Napa supercharger. So not that far. But if we had done a lot more wineries and stuff, maybe we would have had some charging problems. I was talking to one of my other friends today at off at the office and he has a kid. And so it would have been more tricky if he had to find time to go charge and if the hotel hadn't had charging. So, you know, we started with 190 miles of range, so it wasn't a ton. It's going to be very similar to what the Model 3 was. And uh, it, it was not a problem, um, but maybe we were just sort of being a little blase about it because I was like, well, worse comes worse, it'll be, we'll fly, we'll go to a supercharger and wait. Like yeah, we didn't you were have burning off the line every time you accelerated too. Yeah, we all, I mean, we just weren't super pressing. Like there wasn't a ton of super time urgent stuff. Yeah. So if we had to charge, it wouldn't have messed with our schedule because we had no schedule. Um, <laughs> so I do think it's a thing and I do wish there were more chargers. Like we were looking around and there were only a couple of hotels that had them. And at one point there was a minivan parked on the spot. And one point there was a, Fiat 500 that wasn't even electric parked on the charging spot. Jeez, so, what were you staying at, like a Motel Six or something? Come on! No, no, no. They were they were just I don't know. There were some whatever other cars. Um, so <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely more sensitive. But I did have this vibe where I just like always wanted the car to be fully charged. Like, yeah. I, I was just like, mm, I can't. Maybe I should go move the car because we parked in a different area. And I was like, maybe I should go charge the car. I was like, well, I don't need to. I have plenty of charge. But it, it was just sort of this compulsion that I had. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe it won't. But uh, I, there's just something very satisfying of having it charged. Uh, and, and we didn't even have the full charge. Like we, the guy had it set to the sort of 80 or 95, 85% charge rate. Um, so sort of like the daily charge amount. Mm -hmm. So the car could have had like 215 miles of range, but it only had 190 when it filled up because he was limiting it. Uh, so people didn't like damage his battery. Um, so anyways, uh, <laughs> Overall, like as I, like I said, it was great. It was I would highly recommend if anyone has the opportunity to take the car for a full day or want to rent it. I think it's probably worth it if you're if you're really serious about getting a Tesla. I, I would do it. Um, and the UI, the overall touchscreen experience, the autopilot experience, the acceleration, the smoothness, all the things that we've talked about in the other episodes was there. It didn't get old. It didn't get annoying. Uh, there, everything about it was pleasant. <laughs> so I'm more excited than ever, but I'm very sure I do not want a Model S. I do not want that particular car. Uh, I do not like the shape, like the overall size is too big for me. Um, I don't need that much space. I like a smaller car. So I, you know, just don't have that much space requirement. So I'm more excited for the Model 3. I am also more excited for the Model 3 because of the more Spartan interior. Because the only thing I really interacted with was the touchscreen and like the, the binnacle. Right. So the weird thing now is I'm more concerned than I was that the binnacle isn't going to be there. Because I was using that for a lot of stuff. So oh, right. glancing yeah. to the right now to see all that information... And will the, be interesting. The, the screen won't be angled towards you like it is in the S as well. Right. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. But uh, the overall characteristics, if it's anything like this, I'm, I think there's going to be a ton of people who are super excited and going to look for every opportunity to go out for a drive for quite a while. <laughs> it's just fun. All right. Cool. So, all right. I guess the most important thing now that we've built up to it, though, what was the best thing you ate over the weekend? Uh, the fried chicken and waffles from Ad Hoc. Uh, nice. Yeah, quite uh, quite tasty, and the waffles were delicious, and the fried chicken they're sort of world famous for, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, really, I had the I had their fried chicken at uh, Addendum in their backyard uh, last time I was. Yeah, out we there. had that we had that for lunch when we first got there. Uh, so we had a, quite <laughs> That's a, lot a lot of, of fried uh, chicken for one week, and then for di we went to Ad Hoc for dinner, and uh, it was roasted chicken. So we really had uh, quite a lot. Wow. I really stayed in a small area of Yachtville too. We did. We did. We, our hotel was at the end of Washington street. So we, ah, we, cool. we didn't really have to go anywhere. Um, so yeah, right. next week, next week we were going to be at the mall three event, uh, yes. or later this week, I guess. Um, so the next episode is going to be model three Palooza. So that'll be really fun. <laughs> yes. And, uh, 
should be good. So we're going to be there with the Tesla Geeks, uh, Anwar Beck and Russell from the Tesla Geeks who have been helping us get to those events. So if you're planning to get a Model S or X anytime soon, please use a referral code. We'll put it in the show notes and you get a thousand bucks off and you get free supercharging for life of the vehicle. And so, don't listen to any of the bad things Caleb said in this episode. <laughs> no, still. I mean, hey, I, I still think the Model X, I think I would like a Model X, even though it's bigger. Yeah. It's, it's different. Uh, but the Model S is not for me. But hey, I, I know lots of people love their Model S. So that's just my opinion. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just my opinion and my experience. So I don't anyways. even know. Could you even fit a Model S in the parking spot at your apartment? That seems too we narrow. We tried. We tried and I, ba- I, I almost hit the mirror. It's like I, yeah. I had to pull the mirrors in. It was too narrow. Yeah, that would, that would freak me out. Yeah. I, I, and every time I parked, like just one little white wine, like I couldn't, I would be on the line because it's so wide that you t- to do a left-hand turn to not hit anything. I couldn't get the butt to kick out straight because it's also long. So I couldn't, yeah. I always ended up kind of slanted in the spot. So you kind of have to get like a running straight start into the spot, which I just couldn't figure out in the, you know, five or six times I had to park it. So every time I was correcting it and like even backing up with the great backup camera, I still couldn't figure it out because it was just such a huge car and like the rear fenders are wide and then you've got like the hips are wide and then it's got the mirrors. So anyways, I pass off to anyone who parks that. They missed the boat not putting four wheel steering on it. Anyone who parks that in the city, hats off to you. You're you're a really good parker. Um, (laughs) Awesome. So anyways, uh, talk to you later, Mike. Oh, wait, wait. How do people contact us? Oh, my gosh. Come on, man. You're all out of sorts here. You're, you're just all excited for Model 3 Palooza. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> if, yeah, if, if you want to reach us, uh, as always, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter.com. Our screen name is at The Tesla Show. Our website on the World Wide Web is theteslashow.com. And if you are a Redditor and you'd like to Reddit, uh, you can reach us on reddit.com at r slash The Tesla Show. All right. Well, we will be live at the event on Friday, so I no, have Twitter. No, we will. We will not. We will. Be, <laughs> we will just. We will be, be there, watching. and then we will record something later. Will... Right. Sorry, that's what I meant. We will be there. Alive. I mean, we will be alive. We will be we will alive be there. there. Yes. Uh, I may do some weird stuff on Twitter, so you know, oh, we'll see. Gonna, are you going to Periscope? I did make sure Periscope worked. That's all. Is I'll that going to be allowed, though? Do you think? Well, in a few hours before the event, you know, we could show. Oh, I see. What kind of food they have? If there's any cars. But there might be nothing, so we'll see. All right, TBD. TBD. All right, talk to you later, Mike. Stay tuned, friends. All right, bye.